0: A person saying that something can't be done is likely to be interrupted by someone doing it. And and so I'll I'll read to you two problems that arose uh, in in different things. I thought they were very creative solutions to these problems. One of them, like the first one, you're going to be like, I can't believe they did that. That's horrible. Um, But uh, but you're going to see why here in just a second. But it's a really good solution to the problem. All right. So in 1990s, the Houston airport was being besieged with complaints about the amount of time that passengers had to wait to retrieve their bags from baggage claim. Uh, Several years before, they tried to solve this this problem by hiring extra staff to manage the transfer of baggage, all to no avail. Despite the wait time being brought to within the industry standard of eight minutes, uh, the complaints still persisted. Eventually, the frustrated management hit upon one simple solution, move the baggage claim hall further away from the terminals. An analysis of the airport's layout showed that it only took an average of one minute for passengers to travel from the planes to the baggage plane. Nowhere near enough time for the baggage handlers to unload the plane. Passengers now had to walk six times longer to retrieve their luggage, which reduced the amount of time they were waiting once they got there. Underhanded? Yeah. Uh, absolutely clever? Yes, most definitely. All right. Uh, so I was like, I was, I was browsing the internet, trying to find like different solutions that people had to weird problems, weird solutions to problems, um, or dangerous solutions to problems. And NASA has like a list of problems that they've that they've uh, encountered, that they've that they've resolved in ways that you wouldn't expect. Uh, and so, if you ever get a chance, just look for NASA problems and solutions, odd problems and solutions, or something like that. And, uh, and you'll find just a whole list of them. But I found this one, and I think this one was the most, well, I don't know if it was the most interesting, but it's the one that kind of stuck out. Um, but in 1990, wow, this is 1990, the other one, too. I didn't know that until just now. Anyway, 1990, a communications satellite uh, was launched from Cape Canaveral. On, uh, one of the rockets that, that launched it did not separate, and the satellite was stuck in a low-earth or orbit. Um, it was determined that for the time being, the satellite would be left alone. So for two years, this communication satellite was useless, stuck in a low-Earth orbit, and just going around being useless. And uh, in 1992, the space shuttle Endeavour was launched for the very first time, and on its, on its maiden voyage, it was tasked with the mission, well, one of its missions that it had was, was to go and get this uh, Intel Sat-603 and, uh, and recover it, uh, repair it, fit it with a new rocket, and then launch it into the orbit where it was supposed to be. So they they designed a special arm that would grab onto the satellite, bring it into the shuttle bay uh, so that they could fit it with a new rocket to get it to proper orbiting height. Uh, The only thing was that the retrieval arm proved to be absolutely useless for the operation. Uh, So to solve this issue and retrieve the satellite, three astronauts went on an unplanned spacewalk and captured the satellite with their bare hands. I mean, obviously they were gloved, but yeah, no tools, (laughs) <laughs> Just, they went and grabbed it. Uh, now, you're really like, oh, that's cool. you know, And you think satellites walk in and it's all like kind of slow and everything. But the speed at which they were orbiting the Earth was 17,450 miles an hour. So keep that in mind. That's, that's crazy. Uh, it was the willingness of these astronauts that enabled them to get the mission done. Had these astronauts not been willing to do an unplanned, untrained-for uh, spacewalk, uh, to retrieve the satellite, it would not have happened in that way. Uh, uh, this communications company was losing, uh, millions of dollars every year that that satellite was not being, not being able to be used. And so far it'd been two years and who knows when the next space shuttle launch was, was going to be planned. So it was the willingness that allowed this mission to be completed. Uh, even when it was outside of the norm and outside of what was planned, uh, and willingness is what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, go to Second Kings, if you will. Second Kings, chapter four, verse seven. Second Kings, chapter four, verse seven. And this is where we'll stay all night tonight. Uh, it's Second Kings, chapter four. Sorry, we're not going to go to verse seven. Start with verse one. Second Kings, chapter four, verse one. And we'll begin there and read 2, verse 7. It says, "Uh, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in thy house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. Then he said, go borrow, th- uh, go borrow the vessels. I almost said three vessels, sorry. Then he said, go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels. And Thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil, pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Okay? So first off, we have this woman that has some problems. All right? Uh, she's a widow. She's in debt and can't repay. Uh, and because of that nonpayment, she's going to lose her sons. Okay? So her son's liberty is at stake here. Uh, They're going to basically become indentured servants until that debt can be paid or worked off. So she goes to Elisha, the man of God, and tells him her problem. She's tried everything, probably, because when she goes and tells Elisha, Elisha, I have this issue, I have this problem, Elisha says, what's in your house? She says, nothing. I believe, personally, she's probably tried to sell everything. She'd probably try to do everything that she could, scrape everything together to be able to pay these debtors. She says, Elisha, I don't have anything except a pot of oil now. That's all I've got left. And... um, so, Elisha tells her to do something odd. Okay, now, forget everything you know about this story. Forget that we've just read what happens at the end. Okay, I want you to put yourself in this widow's shoes. Okay, you, you have no income. Uh, you've sold everything probably that, that, that can make money. Uh, there is, uh, your, your sons' lives are going to be uh, uh, taken. Not like they're not going to be killed, but their freedom is going to be taken. They're going to go work as slaves uh, until this debt is paid off. And, uh, and so you have this issue. So um, she goes to Elisha. And then this widow's place, her husband's dead. Think about that, what this would mean to you. Her husband's dead. I mean, I haven't been with my wife for like eight days, and that's bad enough. All right? <laughs> um, but, uh, but her husband's dead. She's got a large debt. She didn't have any savings, uh, nothing of value to sell, son's freedom in jeopardy. Now she goes and tells the man of God her problem, and she's no doubt expecting a solution. I remember, this, was, this woman's husband had been a part of a group known as the Sons of the Prophets. It wasn't that his dad was a prophet. Okay? Elisha called Elijah, who was his mentor, his, his trainer, okay, who he followed around. Elisha called Elijah, my father. Okay? And so the, the, this group called the Sons of the Prophets was, uh, was a group of men that were part of a school of prophets. And, uh, and so Elisha knew this man. And the lady reminds Elisha, you knew my father. You, you knew he served God and he feared God. Uh, so you knew my husband, and you knew he served God and feared God, and uh, and so no doubt uh, Elisha knew this this uh, this man, and he probably knew the wife and, and the kids as well. Okay, and she's expecting Elisha to take care of her in some way or another, uh, but Elisha tells her to go and borrow pots and vessels, as many as she can from friends and neighbors, to shut herself up in the house and start pouring oil into the vessels. If that was all the information you had, you don't know that Elisha's going to tell her after it's all done to go and sell it, okay? Uh, uh, this would be an odd request, okay? Um, Elisha says, What do you have in your house? She goes, Nothing. And, uh, but she follows the instructions to the letter, okay? All I've got is oil. Well, go fill up, go borrow pots from all your neighbors and, uh, and fill them up with oil. Now, imagine once again. Being her, okay. Her and her two sons go out into the neighborhood, and they start borrowing pots uh, from people. Okay, so she goes, she goes to uh, to the first door, and she starts knocking on doors. Anybody here ever collected like newspapers or cans or bottles or anything like that growing up to either take to the recycle bin, or to the recycle plant or for fundraisers at school? And you have like a wagon, and you're taking that, and you, hey, do you have old newspapers, old magazines, old bottles, old cans? No, thanks. And you go to the next one, all right? And uh, and that's how it usually works. And people are like, oh sweet kid, and they'll give you like the old stuff or whatever. Nobody has problems giving away their trash, you know. Well, some people do. Some people do. There's there's people called hoarders. All right. Don't point at the people. Some people already raise their hands about it. Uh, confession is good for the soul, they say. So, uh, but uh, there, there's hoarders out there, but most people are like, yeah, you can have my trash. Go take it. Great. And uh, especially if it's a cute kid. But now you've got two, two boys and, and a mother. They're going door to door and they've got their little red rider wagon. Okay. And they're knocking on the door and, and instead of asking for old paper and old cans and old bottles, they're saying, hey, do you have empty pots? How people use these pots for things? Okay. They, they, they weren't just like decorations around the house. We have like, uh, like clay jars and stuff like that as decorations. We don't really use them for stuff uh, normally. Uh, but back then they used them for stuff, and so they're like, "Hey, you got any empty, empty pots, empty any kind of vessel that's empty?" And uh, why? Well, because uh, I, I need them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take them to my house and fill them with oil. Why? I don't, I don't know. So I'm poor, don't have money. The creditors are gonna come take my sons away from me because we've agreed that they're gonna be bond servants uh, if I couldn't pay. And so I asked Elisha, and he said, go borrow a whole bunch of pots. And so I'm just borrowing pots. Where are you getting this oil from? I don't know. So I have one pot of oil, but I'm going to fill a whole bunch of them with what oil? I don't know. (laughs) Can you imagine being her? Knocking on doors of friends, neighbors, strangers. And they're like, this lady's crazy. But evidently, she gets some pots, all right? She gets some vessels. They go back to the house, all right? And, uh, and there she is. She's with her sons, and she takes the very first one. She puts it there in front of her, and she takes her pot of oil. She's like, this is nuts. Make sure this is on tight. <laughs> and goes, whoop. And as she's pouring, she's looking in, and she goes, hey, just see it's coming out. Look, and that one's filled up. Here, put that one aside. Give me another one. And I imagine that with every vessel that gets filled up, she's getting more and more excited. (laughs) Look at this. Look at this. This is nuts. Guys, you would be too. You would be, uh, it'd be like Facebook and Instagram. Be like, look at this. I can pour this. I can pour this oil everywhere. And it's just, it's never going to end. Amazing. I filled up, the. you know, and, and people would be in the comments. Yeah, right. There's some kind of trickery, smoking mirrors, and whatnot. And, and, uh, and so there you are, videoing all this stuff on Instagram, but they didn't have Instagram back then, okay? Elisha told her, shut herself up. Nobody was supposed to see. And there they are, pouring, and pouring, and pouring. And she goes, okay, give me another one. And her oldest son goes, that's, that's it? There's no more. Or maybe it was her youngest son. I don't know which one. But her son goes, uh, there's no more. Was, wow. And at that point, the oil stayed at the level where it was, and, and, and that was... The end of the infinity oil. Um, but, but I mean, that's awesome. Uh, so the widow looks around and starts counting vessels. And how many did she count? All of them. We don't know the number, all right? Um, she counted all of them, okay? She, she got 50 vessels from her neighbors. She counted 50 full vessels there. She got 100. She counted 100 full vessels there. She got 200. 200 full, but y'all yeah, get the picture. All right. Uh, so now she goes to Elisha. She's like, all right, I've got all these vessels of oil. I can burn lamps for a long time. Uh, I can deep fry some chicken, uh, a lot of it. And uh, so what now? Uh, what do you do? And, and Elisha goes, go home, sell the oil, pay your debts, and live off of it. Uh, uh, and so that's what she does. All right. So this widow's just experienced... An enormous miracle for her. And there's a few things that, that we can get from this story. One uh, is that God can get us through our problems. All right. Two is that God's methods are usually not what we would think. And three, God's methods work. All right. And uh, that's the end. I'm just kidding. Uh, I thought we were really lucky. Uh, no, I've got a few more things to point out. Those are big three things that we can grab from this, though. But I want to point out something about this woman's willingness to do it, all right? This widow experienced a miracle allowing her to pay uh, her debt and save her sons from being slaves and bond servants. Um, and, and you see what God used to accomplish this? He used oil. He used something that the lady already had, okay? Uh, Elisha didn't look at her after she said, all I've got is a pot of oil. He didn't go, oh man, if only you had flour too. And we did. <laughs> If only you had some eggs and you could make, like, birthday cakes and sugar and stuff. Man, I don't know what we're going to do. All she had was flour. I mean, all she had was oil. That's it. And he said, okay, we'll use the oil. All right? Uh, God used what she had. That's all she had was oil, and god said okay fine we'll use we'll use oil time after time we see in scripture that God uses people to accomplish different things to solve existing problems, but a recurring theme in many of these situations is that one God uses what people have and are willing to let him use all right so let's let's go back let's go to Moses all right we so have Moses he's out in the wilderness he's eighty years old he's already tried to do his own thing and try to free the you know try to bring relief to the uh to the Israelite people who he was part of. They were slaves. He went and killed an Egyptian because he was beating an Israelite. And, and, uh, and so he thought that maybe they would see him as a savior then, and they didn't. And so when, when he found two of the Israelites arguing, he was like, hey, you shouldn't argue amongst yourselves, you're, you're brothers. And they're like, what, you're going to kill us too? And he was like, oh, great. More people know than what I thought. This is spreading fast on tablet Anyway, uh, just running fast, and uh, so he got out of there. He runs away from Egypt, and he and he goes and lives off in the wilderness. becomes a shepherd, and he's there for forty years. Now Moses is eighty years old, and as he's shepherding his father in law's uh, um, sheep, he sees a fire. He sees a bush, and it's on fire, and it's not being consumed. It's just fire, and the bush is fine. So he goes over to investigate, and he hears the voice of God. And long story short, God says, Moses, I'm going to use you to, uh, to get the children of Israel out of slavery. And Moses is like, how? And God says, what's in your hand? And Moses goes, a staff. And God says, throw it on the ground. Moses throws it on the ground and it becomes a snake. And he goes, this is how people are going to believe that God is sending you. Now pick it up from the tail. And pick it up, and, and it comes, becomes a staff again. And, and God uses Moses' staff to do all sorts of things in Egypt. God uses Moses' staff to split the, the, the Red Sea. Why? Because that's what Moses had. And yeah, Moses argued with God a little bit, but Moses uh, um, went and was willing to use what he had for God. After God canceled out all his arguments, (laughs) Moses was like, I guess I don't have any other choice. And God said, no, you don't. I'll go with you. Use your staff. And he did. And and millions of Israelites were were released out of slavery because Moses was willing to uh, to use his staff. God says, what's in your hand? Moses had a staff in his hand. God used the staff. Shamgar. How many of y'all have ever heard the name Shamgar? Awesome name, one of the cool guys in the Bible. You won't find more than 50 words written about him. All right? I, am, I am determined to believe that Shamgar was just this cool guy, though. All right? so, uh, so Shamgar um, is only mentioned twice in the Bible and both times in the book of Judges. One's in Judges 3.31. It gives about 25 or so words about what he did, and I'll tell you what he did. And then once is a prophetess Deborah sings about Shamgar, and I'll tell you what. She sings about him. So Judges three thirty one tells us that God used Shamgar uh, to to uh, to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines before kings and 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 after Joshua and Moses. Okay, uh, there were judges in Israel, and God used the judges to guide the Israelites to deliver the Israelites when they had been oppressed by uh, by nations or enslaved by by foreign nations uh, because of their ungodliness. And God would use and raise up judges. And one of these judges was Shamgar. And that's almost like a footnote. At the end of chapter 3, God says, And, and Shamgar uh, used an ox goad to kill 600 Philistines. And so the Israelites were delivered. That's it. That's all it says. Goes into the next chapter. A whole different topic. A whole different person. And that's it about Shamgar. But look, an ox goad. An ox goat is not like, like a, like a goad that you have now that's electrical and, you know, tases bulls and stuff like that. All it was back then was a pokey stick. That's it. Shamgar, what you got in your hand? I got a pointy stick. God says, okay, let's use that. Go kill Philistines. And he does. And we don't know if he killed them all at the same time. I like to think that he did because I'm like big into action films and I, I can just imagine spinning that, at the car, stabbing people, you know. <laughs> And so I, I, can, I can picture this in my mind, all right? Or maybe Shamgar just went, and like, he's carrying a stick. What's up? And he had a bull. No, he just had a stick. That's all he had. So he has this stick, and he starts stabbing people with it. 600, and eventually he kills 600 people. But look, Deborah, the prophetess, later sings about uh, uh, God and how he's, how he's used people to, to, to give... Uh, Israel, freedom from all these oppressive nations, and she sings a line about Shamgar, and she says, "In Shamgar's day, everybody walked around in Israel free. They walked through the alleys, they walked down the byways. Everybody was fine. There was safety, there was security. Why? Because there was some dude that all he had was a pokey stick and killed 600 soldiers. If I had that kind of person living in Decatur, I wouldn't worry about anybody. <laughs> Go out at three o'clock in the morning. Hey, Shamgar's somewhere around the corner. He's gonna get you." <laughs> The Israelites walked wherever they wanted to. In Gideon's day, before Gideon... Remember, they were hiding in caves. They were were hiding in caves because of the Midianites. They had had to thresh their wheat in in, in close quarters or behind things that would shield them from view because Midian would come and see something that they wanted to eat. Get the food like grasshoppers, like locusts, the Bible says. But man, when Shamgar was a judge, he killed 600 people with a pokey stick... And everybody was like, we're going to leave that guy alone. Uh, we continue on in the prophets, you have Samson. Samson had his issues. But look, one of the most impressive fights that Samson had, he killed a thousand men in one fight with the jawbone of a donkey. That's it. Uh, Samson, go fight Philistines. Okay. Uh, what you got? Mm-hmm, donkey jawbone? <laughs> use that, go kill him. Okay. And he does, and he goes and kills a thousand men because he was willing to use what he had. David, we know David, killed Goliath with, with a sling and a stone. He was even offered the best arms and armor that Israel could provide. And he was like, no, uh, I got my sling, I got my rocks, I'll, uh, I'll go do that this way. He was willing. You go to the New Testament, you have a boy that gave his fish and his bread and Jesus fed a multitude with five loaves and two fishes. That God uses what people have and are willing to let him use. But God uses also what you're willing to let him use according to your faith. We go back to the widow with oil, right? She gets done filling the pots, the vessels. She starts to count them. How many did she count? All of them, okay? How many did she have? We don't know. But look, if she went and got 50 vessels from her neighbors, how many pots did she fill? 50. 50. If she went and got 3,000 pots from her neighbors, how many did she fill? 3,000. According to her faith, whatever she went and went and got to be able to do that, that's what God used. Um, And look, how much faith did she have? It would have been shown by how many vessels she got. We don't know how many vessels she got, but I don't think Elisha was a cruel person. Okay? if she would have gotten just enough to pay the the creditor and had like five bucks left over, I don't think Elisha would have said, pay the creditor and live off the rest. (laughs) I'm not guessing Elisha was that kind of guy. I think Elisha had more compassion than that. I think she had so much to sell that Elisha knew she's got tons of oil. Go sell it. You'll be able to pay the creditor off and you're going to have a enough to provide for you and your sons. At least, I believe, until they came of age where they could get a good job. But she had enough to live off, her and her sons, to live off the rest of it. Let's go back to our list of people that we've, that we've seen uh, that were used of God, and imagine what things would be like if they wouldn't have been willing. You have Moses, okay? At first, he was not willing. He argued with God about why he couldn't be the one to, to go and, and, and lead Israel out... Um, But uh, but if he would have continued to do so, you know what? God would have used somebody else. Uh, um, but Moses, because he finally surrendered and said, okay, I'll, I'll do what you want, God. I'll use this staff that I have and, and I'll use my faulty tongue and, and, and I'll go and say, I'll go and speak and I'll, I'll lead them out if you lead them out. Listen, the cool thing about Moses wasn't that he led... A million or so people out of Egypt and and freedom. The cool thing that Moses got to experience was he got to experience God. I mean, Moses talked with God, like you and I talk right now. He talked with God. God dictated things to Moses. Moses wrote it down. God wrote on tablets of stone with his finger and then gave those tablets to Moses. Moses spent so much time with God that when he came down from the mountain, people were like, Moses. We can't stand to look at your face. And it wasn't because Moses was ugly. It's because he was shining. Moses glowed in the dark because he'd spent so much time with God's glory. It just kind of rubbed off on him. And everywhere he went, he had to wear a veil. Because people couldn't look at him. Okay, We have all like the masks now. And some people look better with the masks. And you may be thinking of people you know that look better with masks. Moses didn't wear the mask because he was ugly. Moses wore the mask because people couldn't look at him because he was shining so bright. He'd been in the presence of God for so long. It's a deep, intimate conversation with God. And God had shown him his glory. Moses didn't get to see God face on. He got to see, like, the back of God. That's awesome! And Moses would have missed out on it if he would have refused to use and refused to be willing to use what he had for God's purpose. Shamgar! We only get 50 words about this guy, but nobody would know who Shamgar was. All right? And uh, if he would have refused to be used by God... You know what? Shamgar would still have been living under oppression. The people of Israel would not have been able to walk out free and safely. And Shamgar himself would have been one of the ones that was oppressed by the Philistines that he was used to to deliver from. Samson, same as Shamgar, but we see that because of his unwillingness to continue to be used of God in the way that God wanted to, he had a premature death. David, same as Shamgar, but David, listen... David had a relationship with God. A lot of those Psalms that are in the book of Psalms were written by David. If David would have been unwilling to fight Goliath and been unwilling to trust God with what he had, the little experience that he had, the little height or the little age that he had, the little weapons that he had, do you think we'd be reading psalms about the Lord is my fortress and my refuge? Whom shall I fear? No, nah. they wouldn't be there because David would, wouldn't have had that courage. He wouldn't have known God as a tower and a refuge and a strong tower. He wouldn't have known God that way. He'd have missed out on it. The little boy with the bread and fish, he got to participate in one of Jesus' most well-known miracles. Had he not been willing to give up his food, he would have had a full belly and missed out on an amazing experience. I imagine that's a story that he told to his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren to the point that they were just like, come on, we've heard this story a million times. But if I'd have been it, I'd still be telling it. Because that's awesome. You notice the trend in these examples. Moses, Shamgar, Samson, and David were all used by God to be a blessing to others of deliverance from oppression. The widow was used to deliver her sons from servitude. The little lad was used to deliver others from hunger. Each of these people were used to be a blessing to those around them, to be an impact, to reach others. And Listen quickly our, our application point before we close. We want to be a church where people are reached with the radical power of the gospel of Christ. And the question in some of us tonight may be, how do I do it? It's a cool sign we have on the outside. It's nice to see it on the screens. We exist to reach people with the radical power of the gospel. How do we do it? Have you asked God? Have you personally said, God, how do you want me to reach people? How do you want me to be a blessing to others? How do you want me to deliver family members and friends from the grasp of hell? How do you want me to, to deliver people in physical need? How can you use me? God, I, you may be here going, I've got nothing. And if you have nothing, God will use just you. But maybe it's something as simple as the widow lady. All i got is a pot of oil. And all, all I know how to do is all I can do is, and I can't even get out of my, my, my chair right because my back is, I can't help people physically because I'm broken, I, whatever. You've got something. Have you asked God, God, what is it that I have that you want? And then told God, whatever it is that I have, I'll give to you to reach somebody. Would you just show me how? And it's easy to forget about these things. It's easy to forget about the little things like the pot of oil, the staff, the sling and the stone, It's just little insignificant things. But you know what? God uses insignificant things and seemingly insignificant people. Nobody's insignificant because God died for you, Jesus died for you, and Jesus died for everybody. But He uses things that the world will look at as insignificant to reach others with His love, with His power, with His deliverance, with salvation, and to meet needs of others. If we are to reach people with the radical power of the gospel, we've got to be willing. And look, God... God wants to use you. And if you're waiting for God to give you something special before you can use it to serve God, then you're waiting on the wrong thing. Okay, So when David went and he was like, all right, I'll kill Goliath. God, give me all the armor I need. (laughs) And and Saul tried to give him all the armor he thought he needed. And he was like, "Nah, I can't use this. I'm not proved it. Saul was the tallest guy in the camp. David was not as tall as Saul. He didn't even fit him right. And I have what I got. you know. It, God, when he was talking to Moses, he wasn't like, all right, Moses, go free the Israelites. How are they going to know that I'm actually talking to God? Well, let me forge you this great spear and sword and whatever. No, God said, you got a staff in your hand? Use that. Okay? Shamgar, Shamgar, go kill Philistines. All right. Where's my weapons? What you got there? A pokey stick. Okay. Go use that. Okie dokie. Samson, what you got? I'm strong, and there's a jawbone. Go use that. Kid, what you got? Well, Someday, I I expect to someday be a culinary expert and be able to open up a restaurant and a golden corral somewhere and be able to feed thousands of people all at once. Someday. Nah, he said, all I have is five loaves of bread and two fish. That's it. And Jesus said, I can use that. And the boy was willing. And he gave it. What you have, you may think is insignificant. What you have may not even be enough for you. But what you have in God's hands, man, can make an impact in so many people. Can make an impact in one person. And if I make an impact in one person, that's great. Have you been willing, have you given God what you have and said, God, will you just take it? Will you just take my talents, my passions, my possessions, and just use it for whatever it is that you will? If not, I encourage you to do that tonight. Learned from the widow lady. All she had to be able to save her sons was a pot of oil. That was insignificant. God used it. Let's pray.